Porn Free Radio, Episode 15. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. I'm Matt Dopschutz. This is the podcast for people who want to live 100% porn free. I'm really excited about this week's episode. This was our first episode that we recorded live this past weekend. I was in Indianapolis, Indiana at a conference for ministry leaders, and I did a small workshop called Porn. That's right, just P-O-R-N exclamation point. Um, In the workshop, I talk a little bit about porn addicts and specifically uh, working with them in a church setting. And I also talk about things uh, that we as porn addicts know and then things that we don't know. And so that's kind of the, the setup for it. Um, it's in a small room. There's a, a number of people listening, and there's a short question and answer afterwards. I will let it go for a couple of the questions because they're kind of relevant to our podcast. And uh, then I'll cut it off because some of the questions get very detailed into how to run a certain type of group. And um, I don't think it's as much benefit to the group, uh, to the Porn Free Radio audience. So um, anyway, I'm excited and uh, I'm going to play it for you now and hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm Matt and uh, I uh, lead a group in Chicago um, and... uh, uh, I wanted to start by asking uh, how many of you in this room have seen porn in your life? All right, so everyone's hand went up. That is not a surprise. We're all adults here. Uh, we've lived in an age where porn is accessible, and um, so we definitely all saw it. What's more surprising is that um, if we were a group of sixth graders, Um, like my youth group at church uh, that our youth group leader leads. Um, He asks all the incoming sixth graders every year how many of them have seen porn, and they all have their heads down, and they put their hands up, and everyone's hand goes up. Now, that's a little more shocking that um, not a room full of adults, but a room full of 12-year-olds, boys and girls, have all seen porn, and... um, that's the generation that we're living in now. Now, when I um, first started dealing with my porn addiction, and I had a lifelong porn addiction from about uh, eight years old was when I was first exposed to it and got hooked right away. And essentially, um, in different points of my life, either stole it, bought it, downloaded it, um, all, all those things happened until I was 31 and my wife caught me downloading pornography and kind of exposed my hidden life. And, um, and so that was in 2001, and that's when I started dealing with my uh, porn uh, addiction and uh, the compulsion to masturbate and look at porn. Um, that's when I started dealing with it. Um, and in 2001, I was still using a dial-up modem and... You know, it was kind of rudimentary. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until a couple of years later that a broadband came around. About tw- uh, 2004 is when broadband started getting more popular. And so if you think about it, we're in 2014 now. For about 10 years, we've all had some access to broadband. 
in some way or another. So think about those sixth graders again. Uh, the sixth graders in 2004 are now all 22, 23 years old. So as we start uh, welcoming new people into our groups and our churches and in our support groups, that new generation of people who are coming to us have, not, have all seen porn, and they've grown up for 10 years with access to broadband internet. And so myself, you know, I was, you know, scratching around trying to find magazines growing up or, you know, a, an illicit videotape later in my teenage years. They've had access every day for 10 years to high quality, and when I say quality, meaning the actual uh, delivery, not high quality in terms of content, <laughs> but they've had access to high quality porn. So we're dealing with a, an, a completely different animal than our parents did or even we did, I'm 43, even we did 10 years ago. So um, not to mention the rise of mobile use. Now my iPhone can get, can get high-quality video with, with just clicks on LTE, not even uh, a wireless, you know, not even broadband, but a wireless connection. And so I think 10 years later from now, it's gonna, there's going to be even more of an exponential problem because um, devices are so much more personal and private and hidden and access is more, uh, more accessible than ever. So we have a big challenge, those of us who are in this space of trying to help people walk out of um, addiction to porn, walk out of um, this kind of compulsion because of just the accessibility, because of the, um, the access that people have. Uh, I could quote stats all day long. I, I was looking at some stats last night, and I actually got overwhelmed by some of the stats. But I'll share one stat that's relevant to ministry and relevant to, the, to churches. And this was about two years ago. Uh, Rick Warren has a site, the pastor of the Saddleback Church, has a site called pastors.org. And they did a survey of about 1,200 pastors, which is a pretty good sample size. They said, how many of the 1,200 pastors have seen porn in the last year? How many do you think it was? Probably about 78%. It was a little lower, I'm thankful to say, 50%. So about 600 pastors had seen, viewed porn in the last year. Uh, I think about 30% of that, that total had looked at porn in the last 30 days. Now, that is, uh, you know, pastors of churches. Um, so you can only extrapolate that if pastors are struggling, if pastors are um, getting isolated and looking at porn, how much more people in the congregation are, are struggling? And so I really am under the impression that this affects us all, um, that there's other uh, things that we deal with uh, in ministry um, uh, <clears throat> that affect a percentage of us 
you know, and, um, you know, a good example would be like childhood sexual abuse, you know, affects a percentage of us. And there's other things with gender insecurity and other things that we struggle with growing up. But I am under the impression that porn is affecting all of us. If it doesn't affect us directly, it indirectly affects relationships that we're in if we're in relationships with people who are actively looking at porn. <coughs> it affects our children. And, and so I think that porn, and this topic, uh, this title is porn with an exclamation point, um, is, is a real challenge. It's an epidemic um, to, to Christians, but it's also... It's hurting people who wouldn't consider themselves Christians, who are just out there. There's actually a number of online groups um, that have formed around um, just trying to let go of of porn or masturbation because even in uh, secular circles or non-religious circles, people have found effects. Uh, One of them is is sort of a porn-induced erectile dysfunction or a desensitivity to normal sex, that so much um, compulsive masturbating connected with looking at porn has made uh, sex in person sort of a desensitized act, and it, and it just isn't quite as stimulating. And so there's, there's a group of, of men and women out there who are trying to actively stop looking at porn, not even for some sort of sense of, of Christian sexuality or... Um, uh, you know, any sort of uh, moral reason, it's from there's an effect that they're seeing. So I wanted to talk about some things that someone who's struggling with porn uh, knows already uh, w- when they come to our groups, to our support groups, and some things they don't know. And so, so here's the things that they know. Uh, I, I got this, uh, this quote from a guy named Paul Robinson, who's a blogger, and he wrote, and this is important from a Christian context, um, if you're a porn addict, believe me, the last thing you need to hear is that you're a sinner. We already know that. We know that it hurts us and it prevents us from being fully human and experiencing true freedom. We get it. It's like the person who's struggling with porn knows it's a problem. They might rationalize some of the use. They might um, minimize how bad it is, but they know it's a problem. Most people know it's wrong for them. Um, they, will, they will verbalize that. You know, they will, you know when I get asked... Um, when I get emails or whatever from the podcast, I don't have to convince people that it's bad for them. They're already coming in with that. That's why they're looking for a podcast. That's why they're looking for a group to plug into. They know that it hurts them. They've either experienced that erectile dysfunction, if they're a guy, or they've experienced some sort of desensitivity, or they've gotten, they can't stop themselves. They feel out of control. Um, It's affected relationships. They can't have meaningful relationships. Um, This this idea that it prevents them from feeling fully human or experiencing true freedom, they feel very hopeless 
and and very cut off. Um, you know, I got an email from someone, uh, or I think a post. Someone said, "I um, I can't cry. Like I have no ability to cry or feel any sort of sadness." And I thought about myself back in the twenties before my wife caught me. I don't think I cried during my twenties, and I was so cut off from pain and so cut off um, that I wasn't human. I wasn't experiencing sadness like a human would or grief or loss. I just was numb. And and so we know that uh, when we come in as porn addicts to a group, we know that it's wrong for us, that it's, it's, it's bad for us, that it hurts us, that it hurts our relationships, that we can't become fully human and experience true freedom. But here's what we don't know. We don't know um, that we're free to let go of shame. Paul Robinson, he writes this, he goes on in the, in the statement that I just read. Uh, if it's true that nothing we do will separate us from the love of God, then that has to work both ways. It means... Uh, that even if we're 10 years so sober, we're no more loved by God than if we looked at porn an hour ago. Right away, there's no need to feel shame if it's separated from all these ideas of who you are and whether God loves you. So whether we're 10 years sober or whether we've just looked at porn an hour ago, we need to let go of the shame. We need to be able to experience love uh, from God and from others, even in the midst of, of being kind of swallowed up in the addiction. We, de- we need to know that we can let go of the shame, um, the hiddenness. You know, so much of what I got stuck into was lying and hiding. And... And when I stopped lying and hiding, it didn't immediately stop the temptation or the draw to porn. It didn't stop me from looking at porn. But it created a dialogue for me to actually ask for help and for, um, for me to be able to let go of some of the shame of it and the hiddenness to tell others this is what I was struggling with. Um, I remember I went to a group and uh, uh, in 2000, I think it was in 2001, and in that group, um, we had to sign a commitment that we wouldn't drink uh, for the nine months of the group, and that was just so that we wouldn't be numbing any pain with alcohol that maybe we'd be cutting off, you know, by looking at some of these other issues in our lives. So for that nine months, I didn't drink, and I had to sign a contract. And it wasn't legalistic. It was really just meant to sort of help you. But every time, you know, my coworkers would go out for a drink or, you know, I'd be at a party in that nine months, people would see me without my beer, and they'd be like, Dauber, what's up? Are you having a beer or what? And I'd have to say no, and I'd have this choice. Do I want to be known and... Do I want them to really know? Or, and so I, would, I chose that every time someone asked me about drinking, I would tell them 
why I wasn't drinking, that I was in this group because of my porn. And, and that really, and I, got, I experienced a lot of love and support from people in unexpected places, people at, at work, for example, who didn't have a, a Christian context, maybe didn't even have a, a moral problem with pornography, but they knew that it was a problem for me, and they knew that I was struggling, and they were supporting me. They were supporting my recovery and the way I identified my pain. And um, so, so, you know, we need to know that we're free to let go of the shame and talk about what's going on with us internally, to be open and transparent. Um, we need to know that there's hope for change. You know, I think many of us who've experienced some change and some growth in a, in a sexual area you know, sometimes we, we get focused on where we're, what we haven't gotten yet. We haven't gotten into that relationship that we want or that perfect marriage or, or some other thing that hasn't quite happened for us. But we discount how we've moved out of a lot of dark places. And that just moving a short path a lot of times seems monumental for people who are in the midst of their struggle. I'll give you a good example. Uh, a number of the guys that have reached out to me uh, doing the podcast have not even got to 30 days of sobriety. And I'm right now at a little above four and a half years. But I remember those days when 30 days seemed like monumental. Four weeks. You know, I, I, don't, I remember when 14 days was a big deal. And that's not in that far back of my memory. It's not like that's back in the 70s. It's like, you know, I remember 14 days being a big deal in college. Um, so if, if you've had any success over, say, 14 days, you can give hope to someone else. <laughs> um, so they need to know, we need to know uh, when we're coming to a group that, that there's hope for change, that there's hope that, that you can journey out of, of, of stuff. Um, um, we need to see that we're avoiding pain. I was just talking about this earlier today with my friend Dan. I, I'm sure that the illicitness of porn drew me in and the secretness and the, the titillatingness of it drew me in. But you know what really drew me in? Pain. I had a lot of pain growing up, a lot of uh, separation, a lot of um, abandonment. Uh, some relational brokenness, some grief in my family, some trauma in my family. And so porn came along at a wonderful time to sort of help me survive and medicate this pain that I was feeling as a child. The problem is, as I grew into an adult, I was still medicating, you know, like a child or like a young adult who isn't mature. I was still avoiding pain. <clears throat> and the person who's struggling with porn needs to see that. And they might not even be aware of it. Back, you know, think about me in my 20s. I wasn't crying. I wasn't feeling grief. I didn't know what my pain was. You know, even today, I was talking with Dan, and I, I, I just realized that my first five years of school, from kindergarten through fifth grade, I went to five different schools. 
every year I started in a different school. And, and I'm like, what kind of effect did that have on me? How did I cope with that? I know for one, I started gaining weight as a child, but you know, come sixth grade, or you know, that's when I started acting out with porn. So it's like, you know, how did I deal with all that pain? So the 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 porn addict needs to know that that very possibly, or or not even possibly, there's pain there. They might not know what it is, they might not know how to access it, but it's there. So they we need to just help them start acknowledging pain. Because if they don't deal with the pain, if they just want to deal with the behavior, it's just it's never gonna go away. Because unless you deal with the pain, you're never gonna you're never gonna get free of the porn. So they need to know that they're free to let go of shame. They need to know that um, there's hope for real change, that we're avoiding pain. This is a key one here. Um, they need to see God's image revealed in others. So often, when you're struggling with porn, you start to just see people as objects that, you know, either titillate you or excite you. You kind of almost deconstruct them as people into body parts, into to different things on the screen. It's, and the longer that you're in real relationships with people and in a group, maybe where there's group dynamics and stuff, you look at people for who they really are. Um, I was, um, a friend of mine told me a story once that um, he was uh, interested in this one porn star and sometimes guys will get hooked on one porn star and they'll just sort of binge watch um, this particular star. And so he had done a search and found a video of her when, um, when she was very young. And he knew it was her, you know, it was her. And um, I don't know if she had the same name, but he knew it was her. And... He started watching this scene, and it was before anything happened sexually, but he knew where it was going. And there was a moment where he just saw her eyes and the youngness and sort of almost the naiveness of her. And he immediately saw her as a person, and he turned off the video. There was something about seeing her in that more innocent state that he realized this is a real woman made in God's image. You know, this is a, um, um, a real person. This isn't just a, a fantasy. And, um, and when he told me that story, I thought of that story of Jesus where he talks about him looking on the crowds and having compassion because they look like sheep without a shepherd. And I thought for just that moment, he saw that woman as Jesus sees us, you know? He saw her for who she was, lost and kind of swallowed up in this thing. Not a, not a sexual goddess or a, you know, some diva to worship, 
but this lost sheep. And if we're not having real relationships, if we're not in, uh, if we're not being exposed to that in people, then we'll continue to see people as sort of these two-dimensional objects. And some of that involves being in a group, I think, you know, being face-to-face with people in their pain um, starts to really uh, break that fantasy life. So we need to see God in others. We need to see God's image revealed in others to help us leave porn. We really need others. We need to learn how to ask for help. Um, and just as I said before, you know, we, we sometimes get hung up on the word confession, but we really need to tell our stories and confess things in order to be fully seen. And so just as I was telling my coworkers about my porn problem, we need to continue to talk about what's going on in the inside. We need to expose the hiddenness. And it's an ongoing thing. Um, and that seems counterintuitive to the person who's been hiding in porn. T- telling on yourself seems like the worst thing you could do. You would look bad or exposed for your weakness. But that actually is freeing. And, you know, that continues to unlock the hiddenness and the shame. And, and, and so, you know, that's really important. So we need to know that we're free to let go of shame. Um, we need to know that there's hope for real change. We, we need to see our pain. We need to see God's image revealed in other people. We need others. We need to ask for help, be able to ask for help and be able to confess and, and be fully seen, to be, to be transparent with one another. Um, and that's, that's what we need to learn as porn addicts. That's what we need to learn to really journey out. It's not about behavior modification. It is in some sense. I mean, you need to change what you're doing, and you need to get strategies and tools in place to help you. But the real growth comes from dealing with the pain uh, and being in a place where you're um, being transparent. So I want to finish just by um, pointing out a couple things that... um, for those of us who are helping people journey out of porn, what, what we need to be doing. And number one, we need to be in regular confession. We need to be speaking out the things that, that we're continuing to do to meet our own needs or to, to hide. If we're not confessing, if we're not being transparent, then how can we help someone else walk in that? We ultimately need to have clean hands. And so if, if you're struggling in an area of porn or if you're struggling with a media addiction or some other types of things that are similar, um, it really dulls you as a leader. You cannot help restore someone else if you're falling in the same way. Um, 
because you just don't have the hope. You're avoiding your own pain. How can you show someone else their pain and give them hope if you're numbing your pain and you're hiding in shame? It's like the call, the, the same things that the person needs that we're helping, we need. Porn dulls leaders. Like, you know, I started with that, that thought about the, I, I shared the one stat about pastors, and that one kills me. You want to know why? Because it dulls their ministry. You know, we talk about the sheep without a shepherd. Well, what happens when the shepherd is looking at porn? I mean, what are they, where are they getting their guidance from? You know, porn dulls leaders. So you need clean hands, you need regular confession. And I think, you know, we need to rethink too about um, how we teach accountability or how we teach relationships where people are transparent with one another. Um, I know in, you know, some ministries we have, um, there's high boundaries about how group members, you know, Deal, work with other group members or small group leaders. Well, um, that makes sense for protection and safety of the group. But for the porn addict, that's tough. Um, so it's worth thinking about how do you, can your group members call you outside a group? Is there a way for them to text if they're having a problem? Because from my experience, someone who's struggling with porn needs more than once a week check-ins. They need at least two times a week. I'd say, you know, if you have group on a Monday or Tuesday night, you probably need to check in at some point on the weekend. That's because that's a long time from, from Tuesday to next Monday. That's a long time. Um, so think about how you create accountability, how you create structures. Another thing that I think is helpful, too, now, I'm not a proponent of having someone who's in a vulnerable state and they're getting help, um, helping others in the sense of leading. But are there ways that people in your groups can help serve one another? Is there a chance in small group to invite some others to speak in to one who's struggling or to pray for one who's struggling um, or to bless or Say something positive about that person. Are there ways that you can involve others, even if they're in their stuff? Because I think the, the, the key for someone who's coming out of porn addiction is they need to realize they need other people. They also need to know that they're essential to other people's journeys and freedom, that, that they have something to give, that they're just not needy sheep who who just take and, and everything kind of gets given to them, that they're helpless. Like, I think a lot of times people who are struggling with porn feel kind of helpless. Like, there's nothing good that they have to offer. They're, they don't, they're powerless. So we need to figure out ways to empower them. Are there ways that they could serve or help? You know, on the podcast a few weeks ago, I talked about, you know, you know maybe there's a, a soup kitchen or maybe there's a food pantry or some other ways of service that the porn addict who's still in their journey, not able to help others in a sexual addiction, 
but are there ways that they could just plug into something that just is at the root serving people, focusing on other people's needs, um, just to build that into their life, build that habit. So as much as we can, you know, how can we empower them to help serve one another? And then creating healthy structure. You know, what do they do when group ends? What do they do when they need a new group? What do they do when they move to a different city? How do they start to form those relationships that are going to help them be able to ask for help, to be transparent? Um, Those are things as leaders that we need to model and, and show. So I've just dumped a lot of information on you. I've said a lot of things. We have a few minutes. Um, Are there any questions that I can answer? Any good ways to help them get in touch with their team? If they're just so so not used to feeling it, what are some ways you found to help them really understand what you're trying to know? Uh, The question is, what are... What are good ways to get into their pain? Well, one thing is um, ask them to tell their story. You know, talk about how they grew up and get into some of the details of what what was dad like, what was mom like growing up. If a lot of times someone who's not in touch with their pain will say something completely traumatic or horrible and they'll say it almost matter-of-factly, almost with a smile on their face. And I've found that if you could just mirror back that that sounds really hard, that as a child that would be hard to deal with, the divorce. And sometimes that can start to unlock, like, oh, that would be hard. Another thing you can do, too, if they're, they're a parent, a lot of times if you, if you transpose their child or the them as children onto their children what would you do for your son if this happened and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off wow that was really horrible that I had to deal with that I didn't have anybody to go to so those are some ways to 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 kind of help them look at it from another perspective mirroring back um um I mean that that's one way I've found how, how about you? Have you? What are ways that you found, Dan? That's a lot of very similar things. What do you feel about that? If I ask them, what do you feel? They're usually just clueless. Right. If yeah. But if I ask, well, the same thing. What, what would you think if your son went through that? Or what do you think a typical person would feel if that happened? It takes it away from them. Yeah. So then they're they're better able to see it, and then yeah, you're right, kind of soak it in. So yeah, I must have felt horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, and the. Uh, one other thing that I, I try to say a lot, if possible, is that um, we can't look back at childhood pain with sort of our adult eyes and sort of discount the impact of things. That children are not good interpreters of what's going on around them. And so something that we look back and go, well, our parents got divorced, that happens the child could interpret that all sorts of ways as being the most traumatic thing that ever happened. It probably was the most traumatic thing. So we need to help them not, you know, reframe all their experiences through adult eyes, but really to look at things 
from how did that trauma affect you? And to not compare their trauma to other people's trauma. Well, it wasn't as bad as Tim's family, or I wasn't sexually abused, so I'm not, I'm not as bad as this person. Or, you know, uh, everyone's pain is important. Well, what suggestion do I have for adolescents? The thing that I felt the most as an adolescent was alone. I remember I, you know, once bought a book. I think I talked about this in the podcast. I bought a book called Eros Defiled, which was about, you know, sexuality and, you know, the sexual Christianity and sexuality and and my parents, you know, I bought this at a Christian bookstore, and they, they saw the book. They didn't say anything to me about it. And what that said by not saying anything to me about it was, this is a very shameful issue, and just read it on your own, and this isn't something that we talk about. So the, as, as awkward as it is, awkward conversations are more powerful than no conversation. You know, by not saying anything, you're saying something. And so I encourage people, if they have kids that they're working with or their their own children, to just have awkward conversations and just keep having them until they become less awkward. Um, And, you know, I was just talking to a pastor the other day, and he, he was saying, you know, he goes, we grew, when, when my boys were growing up, we, we did the things with, with the, the computer in the family room, and we kind of had the boundaries, and we kind of generally talked about the danger. But he goes, you know, my children are all in their 20s now, and I wonder how they're doing with stuff. And he goes, and he said he saw them all for dinner recently, and he's he still having a hard time bringing up the subject. And this guy is a great guy, great dad, you know, and, and, um, and so if he's having a hard time, that means we're all having a hard time. So, um, you know, I, I just happened to see this the, the other day. My son and I went to the gas station, my six-year-old son, and right by the counter, they had some sort of, some sort of herbal, you know, erotic thing you know, like a supplement that you could take before sex that would make you feel more amorous. And it had a picture of a man and woman kind of in a close embrace with their shirts off. You know, there was no, no nudity, but, you know, it, it definitely looked intimate and interesting. And my son looked at this. And so we got back in the car, and I said, hey, I noticed in the store that you saw this thing. And he immediately had a shame response. And I said, it's okay. I still love you. You didn't do anything wrong. I understand why you're curious. He did not want to talk about it. He felt very shameful. And so I tried. I tried to bring it up. I tried to say I loved him, and it's hard. So I think, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm committed to continuing to bring up the conversation. Um, but I knew he saw, he knew I saw him, and I said something about it. Um, so I realized I got I got my hands full with this guy. I'm going to have to keep keep it up with him in particular. Well, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. 
the question answers go on a little longer there. As I said, it gets a little specific into certain types of groups. And so I'm going to cut it short here. Um, if you have any questions for me after listening to this, you can always reach me on Twitter at Matt Dopshoots. Uh, I'm also Matt Dopshoots on Google+. As I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, we now have a Facebook page. It's Porn Free Radio with Matt Dopshoots. You can look that up, like it uh, for show updates, and you can connect with us there. I'm also on Reddit on occasion as Porn Free Matt D. And uh, love uh, your comments, your emails. I've gotten some emails this week. I've gotten some good comments. Uh, you can reach me at pornfreeradio.com. The show notes for this show will be at pornfreeradio.com slash 15. And as always, your ratings and iTunes reviews are a major help in getting the word out. Now, I keep hearing from people that they're struggling uh, to figure out how to review something in iTunes. So, uh, I would invite you to look a little harder, spend a couple minutes and try and figure it out. Um, I did create a little video on how to do it. So if you're really, really having trouble, go ahead and send me an email, um, mattd at pornfreeradio.com, and I will send you a link to exactly how to review and rate on iTunes. That would be totally helpful to me. And I'm only speaking to a couple of those friends of mine who keep mentioning it, so If you're really struggling, I will send you a link on how to update uh, a review, how to make a review, how to rate in iTunes, because that's awesome. That gets the word out in iTunes, the most powerful uh, podcast library uh, on the planet. And uh, I want as many people to know about Porn Free Radio as possible, just because I want people to get help. So, And I know you're into that, too. You find value in this. And so I'd love for you to help me. So once again, hey, great uh, talking to you this week. And just want to give you a shout out um, or just a heads up. Uh, The next two weeks, I'm really excited. We're going to have Craig Para from The Mindful Habit on the show. We're going to do two shows with him. Really excited about it. And... um, Uh, We're going to just dig into his story and also just kind of talk to him about some of his ideas about uh, recovery of porn. It's going to be a really great podcast for us to share our ideas, and there's a lot we have in common. It's really awesome, uh, and I'm excited to talk to him. So definitely check out uh, Porn Free Radio episodes 16 and 17 in the weeks to come um, because it's going to be a special uh, couple of podcasts. All right. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. And thanks again for listening. This is Matt. See ya.